are listening to the Jersey Guys Podcast, the show that talks about hard rock, heavy metal, AOR, and West Coast music. In-depth conversation and special guests are always on tap, so settle in and turn it up. Now, here are your hosts, Tom and Mark. Hey everybody, this is Mark Fallow. Welcome to the Jersey Guys Podcast. We're here with uh, my co-host Tom Coyne and welcome to episode number four. Uh, today we are going to talk about the Michael Schenker Group. And uh, we're going to talk about when Tom and I discussed doing this, we said, you know, Michael Schenker's got a long history, obviously. But we said, let's kind of focus on the first half of his career as the Michael Schenker Group. And we would go up and cover the first seven albums and basically, that was at the point in the mid-90s when he returned to UFO and recorded a new album with them. So we're going to cover the, the first seven albums of the Michael Schenker discography. And uh, we're going to start from album number one, and let's get right into it. So what do you, what do you think, Tom? Album number one, 1980, Michael Schenker, he has that long history with UFO. He plays shortly in 1979 with the Scorpions and his brother. Um, and then he goes solo. So now here we are, 1980, he releases the Michael Schenker Group. Well, this was a much-anticipated record. There had been a lot of talk at the time that he was going to put out a solo record, and it was it was kind of a disjointed period for him because he had left UFO in the very late part of the 70s. Paul Chapman came in, Schenker returned. Uh, after the Obsession album had already been recorded, finished the tour. He, as you said, uh, was instrumental in the Love Drive album with the Scorpions in 79. And it was around that period that this record was recorded, uh, the debut. It was done primarily by studio musicians. It was before the vintage lineup was, was in place, which was still yet to come. Sure. Now, this album has, has Don Airy on keyboards, and uh, Simon Phillips is the drummer, and Mo Foster on bass. Correct. Um, so, yeah, and it, this album was produced by Roger Glover of Deep Purple theme, of course. That's right. Yeah, I mean, what, what are your opinions on the first album? I like it. I never loved it uh, from the time that I got it up until currently. Um, it's a good record. It had a couple of great songs. It was kind of a precursor of... What was yet to come. So, kind of similar to when we did the Europe discography and we went over the first Europe album. I think we had the same same feelings of it. It wasn't really the lineup that he was going to shine with, and the songwriting was there. It was it was a lot of instrumental uh, pieces. There was uh, some great shredding. If you're a, a Michael Schenker aficionado and like his more shred-festing playing, he did do a lot of heavy-duty playing on this album. Sure. Yeah, um, you, had a, you had Armed and Ready, um, Cry for the Nations. Uh, those Victim two best songs of the album, I thought. They were actually the two singles from the album, yeah. if, I, if I remember correctly. And Victim of Illusion, I, I love that song. It's probably my favorite on the record. Yeah, it's a, that's a good song. Yeah. But I, I myself, like, I, I don't really... I, I wasn't turned on to the band at that point. 
1980, I really wasn't aware of Michael Schenker. Um, my awareness to Michael Schenker and the Michael Schenker group came a little bit later when he teamed up with Rob McCauley. We'll get to that in a little bit. But yeah, I mean, he, he had some success with the first album, obviously. And that's 1980. And then quickly moves on. Oh, and we got to mention, too, I mean, the singer, Gary Barton, you know, he, he came from from where? He was in State Trooper? Well, State Trooper actually came out after the first oh. Michael Schenker album. It okay. was um, more in the time, a later period of the new new wave of British heavy metal. Uh, he this was like his his first big gig was with the the first on the first Schenker album. Hmm. Barton is is an interesting singer. I I've always liked his vocals, and I, I really out of everybody, and this includes Graham Bonnet. It includes Robin McCauley. I always felt Barden was the voice of, of Michael Shanker. And he, he didn't have a technically great voice. He was sometimes a little wavering live. I liked his voice, and it was, to me, I always felt uh, was the voice of, of Shanker. And I, I got to see him numerous times with Michael Shanker throughout different periods of career yeah i mentioned to you earlier and I, I said i don't know if i was crazy or what but i don't know listening to the the albums again the these albums with gary barden on them just recently as as we were preparing for this podcast i i don't know something i heard a little bit of like almost a rob halford um sort of style or quality to his voice i, I don't know i mean you, you said you didn't really hear it as i much, didn't really but... hear that um I mean, other than the only connection that we spoke spoke about before we went on the record with this uh, podcast was that Simon Phillips was in Judas Priest for a period of time, but I don't know if that had any uh, impact on it at all. But I, I never really heard uh, Halford in his voice. Uh, Barton, to me, always had a voice that was uh, kind of unto himself. I, 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 You know it's him when he sings. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I, I don't know why. Just I, especially on a song "Victim of Illusion," I, I thought the song itself had the, even the guitar riff that that Michael Schenker came up with was kind of like a little bit Judas Priest sounding to me, and maybe that's where I kind of picked up on that. Well, that album I thought had had some of Schenker's more aggressive playing uh, than I had heard in a long time, and and even what was yet to come. I, I if I had to pick out of all the albums that Schenker did through the through the eighties into the early nineties, uh, it's got some of his some of his best playing is on that album. I just think the songwriting wasn't as a full album what was yet to come because of the guys that he surrounded himself with going forward. Right. Well, now that would bring us to album number two, which came quickly the year after nineteen eighty one. Uh, we have it's the I guess you would call it the the self titled or MSG album. Um, that one came out in like 1981. I said, now you've got Gary Barden returning on vocals, but you now have, and the lineup you talked about, you, you now add guys like Paul Raymond, you add Cozy Powell on drums and Chris Glenn, longtime bass player with Michael Schenker. So this is kind of like the, the solidified lineup of the band, right? Yes. This, I, I think people that are really into MSG, at least the, you know, the early period of it, this is what we look at as perfect Schenker lineup. And I think it was the perfect Schenker album. I don't think he's ever done an album as good as this before or after. I think it's... I'll probably get some flack on this. I think it might be better than a lot of the UFO albums that he was on. 
It was, in my opinion, a, a landmark album of its time. I think it's dated extremely well 40 years after the fact. The songwriting was incredible. The playing, uh, it was, it's a perfect 10. Yeah. I mean, so, you had you had uh, songs like Ready to Rock. You had uh, Attack of the Mad Axeman. Uh, on and On, which is probably my favorite song on the record. It's crazy as that might trust sound. Trust a Stranger, Looking for Love. Oh, yeah. Let Sleeping Dogs Lie. Secondary Motion, which is a great song. Yeah. Uh, Let Sleeping Dogs Lie. Let Sleeping Dogs Lie to me it had a little bit of a, a purple, deep purple kind of feel to it. Yes, and I agree. Yeah. I, I thought that was a, a pretty good song. I Yeah, I, I like the album a lot. Like you said, I mean, you, when you talk about the lineup, you can't complain about any of those players that he brought into the band at that point. And so, yeah, that probably was the the classic, or you know, the maybe the best lineup of of, the, of his career as far as the Michael Schenker albums go. I don't think he ever did a record, and again, this includes UFO records too. I don't think he's ever done a record this perfect. Every every song was great. Uh, different s- styles of songs. Um, it's 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 a perfect ten in my record, my my book. This, yeah. this record, it, it's that good. Now he's basically, I mean, he's he's kind of riding on a high in a way. Um, I mean, it was like rapid fire. I mean, the first album comes out in 1980, follows that up with the MSG album, 1981. And now you're going right into 1982 and you got Assault Attack. But now there's a change in the band at that point, a big change, because Gary Barden exits and Graham Bonnet, the legendary Graham Bonnet, comes in. There's a couple other changes. Um, Ted McKenna took over for Cozy Powell on drums, and then you had uh, Tommy Iyer on keyboards for this, you know, replacing the uh, Paul Raymond. Uh, so, yeah, w- talk about Assault Attack, because you got, a, you know, the third album into their career now, and you got a new singer. Well, McKenna came on board because he was in Alex Harvey's band along with Chris Glenn. Cozy at that point was, you know, he, he was in demand by every big, British rock band. I mean, we, we know he's he's cut through Gary Moore. He's cut through Whitesnake, MSG, uh, you know. So they, there was a change in the drumming. Uh, they changed singers. And I know there was some, at the time, there were some issues between Schenker and, and Bard. And I'm not, I'm not going to speculate what, because it was never really put out there specifically. But... Bonnet was a guy that was still kind of the beginning stages of, of the legend of Graham Bonnet, but obviously mm. he had his stint in Rainbow, which was successful, even though it didn't end on a great note for him. And um, he had that over-the-top style of singing that was really first evidenced in, in Rainbow, mm-hmm. and it attracted Schenker in the direction he wanted to go because it was probably the heaviest record. Might be the heaviest record that Schenker has ever recorded. Uh, it's got some really heavy, for that time, heavy songs with a gigantic production, uh, great playing, and Bonnet. This was the first album, in my opinion, that Bonnet really set the stage mm-hmm. for what a over the top you know, signature voice that he had. And I would rate this album maybe not quite on par with the second album, but it's 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 right there. Right. And and the production 
uh, courtesy of Martin Birch, I believe. Yes, Martin Birch. Yeah, it was a big step up from from the prior MSG albums. The production alone may may have set it uh, on a different level, but yeah. it was a great great record. Samurai Desert Song. Desert Song is probably my favorite on on the album. Um, even a song like like Dancer to me, like it had like a real Alcatraz kind of feel to it almost in a way, which is kind of something that Bonnet went on to. But yeah, I think... it, it, it did. I, it's probably the, my least favorite track on the album, <laughs> but it, it it definitely did have some Alcatraz uh, vibes. Uh, Broken Promises was a, another more deeper track on the Assault Attack. Mm. It, it was a, a great record. I, I remember when this record came out, it was... If you were into this music, I thought this record got your attention big time. Now, it's funny because an instrumental song on this album, on Assault Attack, was was a song called Ulcer, right? Yes. And I, I can't help but, when I was listening to it, I, I kind of laughed to myself because I, I thought to myself, you know, maybe that was uh, Mike, Michael Schenker's dedication to, uh, to Graham Bonnet, <laughs> right? Because, I mean, when, when they started touring for this album, Bonnet made made it only one show before he was out the door. Yeah, there were, there were problems with Bonnet. I mean, Bonnet had problems with Richie Blackmore. Uh, Bonnet was a handful. Bonnet needed his own band. He needed guys to uh, to dance to his tune, so to speak. There, there were definitely problems with him, with substance abuse, alcohol, uh, or a whole myriad of problems, some of which, you know, uh, reared their heads in, in rainbow also. That being said, I mean, Bonnet, I, at any time I had seen him live or seen videos of him, performed really well. But I know there were major issues at that time with, with him and Shanker. And he was sacked on, on, a, on a live setting very quickly, and which led to the return of old reliable Gary Barton. Right. Now, right after the Assault Attack album, the band released uh, One Night in Budokan, which was a live album, obviously, and that came out in 1982. Um, that was recorded in 1981 with that lineup we spoke of, Cozy Powell uh, on drums and, and more of that more classic lineup, right? Yes. Yeah. So now, so that, so we're not really going to talk too much about the live album. Live albums are live albums. We thought we could stick pretty much to the studio releases of, of the band. Uh, so, after you have the live album One Night in Budokan, you then come up to 1983 and you have the fourth album in the band's history. And Gary Barden, as you mentioned a minute ago, comes back into the fold. Um, then you have the album Built to Destroy. A big personal favorite of mine. And I know it's in, in, the, in the whole parlance of the Michaels Schenker discography. It's kind of met with uh, mixed feelings, but... Me personally, I always loved this record. I, I thought the songwriting was extremely strong. It wasn't maybe one of Schenker's big showcase guitar albums, but I thought it, the songwriting was very, very strong. Red Sky, Rock My Nights Away, which is a song I just absolutely have always loved. Yeah. Rock Will Never Die. Rock Will Never Die, Dogs of War, um, the classic uh, instrumental, Captain Nemo. Captain Nemo, Make You Mine, which is another song. I, I just thought that this record had great songwriting. And it was, it, for me personally, as much as I love Graham Bonnet, it was just uh, equally as welcome return to have Gary Barden back. And I was a big fan of this record. 
I, I think, yeah, Red Sky was probably my favorite track on the album. Rock My Nights Away is, yeah, one, one of my favorite. One of my favorite Michael Schenker songs. Okay. Uh, so then now, we're 1983, you know, Gary Barton's back in the mix. Uh, they put another live album out, right, which was uh, Rock Will Never Die, uh, which came out in 1984. 84, correct. Yeah. So uh, they do that. Then now there's kind of like the, I guess you could call it the, the classic era of the Michael Schenker group kind of comes to an end, right? Yes, that was that was the end of it, and um, I liked Built to Destroy so much that I was really thinking there would be an album after it, but there was not. That was, I guess, a period of '84 going into '85. Mm-hmm. There was a big change about to happen for Michael Schenker. Oh, definitely. Now, now, what happened basically was 1987, a couple years down the line now, and. Um, Michael Schenker brings in Robin McCauley on vocals now, right? And the band now gets changes in the moniker to the McCauley Schenker Group. Uh, still MSG, obviously, but you know now it's the McCauley Schenker Group. So it's kind of like you're featuring Robin McCauley. And now the band puts out the, the album Perfect Timing, uh, the first album with Robin McCauley. Uh, totally new lineup of players. Um, I mean, you've got... In addition to Macaulay on vocals, you've got Mitch Perry on guitars. You've got Rocky Newton on bass, uh, Bodo Shop on drums, and Steve Mann even does keyboards and some guitars. So this is like the new sort of the new era of the of the Michael Schenker group, but it's now the Macaulay Schenker group, right? Yeah, this was a big change, and I remember this was something that was talked about. I read a lot about what was coming with Schenker and. and what I started to really have a whole different appreciation for Michael Schenker is that he totally reinvented himself. He seemed extremely comfortable in who he was. Uh, he didn't have to be a guitar god anymore. He didn't act like a guitar god. In fact, he went and brought in another lead guitar player into the band who was an accomplished player in Mitch Perry, mm-hmm. who had stints with Talis who had st- a stint with Heaven. In fact, he was on the, what I think was the best Heaven album. And Schenker didn't have to bring in a guitar player of that caliber, but he did because he was at that time all about the songwriting and having the best band he could put out there. And he brought in Macaulay, which at that time was pretty much a, a virtual unknown to most people, unless you really had your ear you know, to the ground on the the UK and, and, and European scene and knew him from Grand Prix and GMT. The, he was an unknown and he not only brought him in, he made made him part of the band. I mean, he's, he was, the, you know, the MSG turned into Macaulay Shanker. Right. And he had no problems, you know, taking a, a backseat to Robert Macaulay's name. He had no problems sharing the spotlight with Mitch Perry. Uh, he brought in Rocky Newton from Lionheart fame, and mm-hmm. um, that was a tremendous band. I would say that band was on par with the first big incarnation of, of MSG back when he had Paul Raymond, Cozy, and Chris Glenn, and mm-hmm. um, it was a more melodic rock, almost AOR type of an album with incredible songs. I mean... Again, an album that had nothing weak on it, and it 
was just such a maturation of Michael Schenker because like, he seemed very at peace with not having to play Guitar God. And right. he was just... All, if you saw videos of that band or live footage of that band, he was kind of a guy that was just in the band. And he seemed very at peace with that. You know, Macaulay had a big part. Uh, Bitch Perry had a big part. And um, he seemed very at ease with that. And the songwriting was, was great. And Macaulay was like... That was the first introduction to... Uh, the masses, and, sp- and certainly the United States, of what a talent Robin McCauley Oh, yeah. Was. That, that's where I kind of definitely became, and I mentioned before how I wasn't really turned on to the earlier uh, Michael Schenker albums, but I kind of, 1987 at this point, you know, the MTV era, uh, I, I was turned on to Perfect Timing, was my first introduction to Michael Schenker, to be honest, and, and, I, and I just love Robin McCauley's voice. And I, I thought it was a great album. And, and like you said, it was interesting because what he, what Michael Schenker did was he was playing more, it was more about the song. And it wasn't, like you Absolutely. said, him needing to be the guitar hero. So I think that, and, and you clearly see that on the songs. I mean, this, the solos weren't anything that needed to be the central part of the song. It was more about the song itself. I, I wish Schenker had stayed really with this blueprint longer uh, and with Mitch Perry in the band. Because to me, this was a great place for him. I, 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 I really love this record. I loved who he was and the direction that he was headed with this lineup and this record. Oh, yeah, totally. And that, that's 1987. So then two years goes by, and now 1989 comes along, and we get the second Macaulay Schenker album, which is Save Yourself. And it's basically the same lineup, except Mitch Perry now leaves, right? Right. Mitch Perry had left, and I I, I liked this record. I, I never loved it. I thought um, it, it was spotty, I, I thought, overall. There were a couple of great songs. There were some throwaway songs, which mm-hmm. I kind of thought coming off the record before it was a letdown. It, it's certainly, by no stretch of the imagination, a bad record, it, it, and it was... Say, say it was called Save Yourself, and what saved the record was there was a couple of really, really, you know, high end and tunes on it. Yeah, probably the band, I mean, I guess the Macaulay Schenker era is probably the biggest hit they ever had in any time, right? That song? Yeah. I mean, that, that, and it remains, that's probably, I would say, if you had to ask me, I would say that's probably my favorite song of that Macaulay Schenker era. Uh, that that was just you know, and it's a song that's still you know you play it on XM today. You know, it's still still heard nowadays, and it's just a great song. It's an epic song, actually. I, I, honestly, I think it saved that record. Yeah. I mean, there songs like "Bad Boys" was was okay. I mean, a mm-hmm. little cliche. I there, there were songs on that album that I thought songwriting wise, the band was going backwards. Yeah, uh, it, it just wasn't as cohesive. It wasn't as melodic. Uh, and again, like I said, it had, I thought it had a couple of throwaway songs on it. It was not a bad album. I'm not trying to say it's a bad album. Yeah. I just didn't like it as much as the predecessor. Yeah. I mean, you had a song like, you know, the title track, Save Yourself, which is a real heavy song. I like Save song. Yourself. And I had no problem with him going in that direction. Yeah. Heavier as opposed to the other album, because certainly he's done heavier stuff. Yeah. But I just thought the songwriting was a, overall was a disappointment from the album before it. Yeah, I, I thought like I, I mean there's there's a handful of songs in that album that I really liked. I, I liked uh, "This Is My Heart," uh, "Destiny," "Take Me Back." I, I maybe the second half of the album maybe got a little bit stronger in that respect. It, uh, it did, yeah. 
Yeah, so I, I, I like the album. And, and I got to say, probably my favorite album cover of the Macaulay Shanker or maybe of the Michael Shanker era might might be the, the Save Yourself album cover. I thought it had great artwork. Yeah, well, because the one before it and the one after were kind of, you know, the yeah. album covers were... Well, were, on, yeah. on Perfect Timing, we got to see the uh, the super mullet of Rob McCauley. Right? That, that's correct. Yeah. That's correct. We did. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. But yeah, but now, now two years pass again, and we're now into the 90s, and it's 1991. And now the last uh, Macaulay Shanker group album comes out, which, funny enough, it's it's titled MSG, again, just like that the again. band's second album. Uh, so now that's 1991. You've got a, a completely new band again. You've got Jeff Pilson on bass, uh, James Kotak on drums, and Jesse Harms on keyboards, right? Right. So that that's now, how do you feel about that album coming off something like Save Yourself, which was Well, I, I like that album a lot. I thought it was it, it was more in line with the, the first album, with, with, um, with MSG when they reformed it was more melodic I, I some of the songs were i thought on par like eve and uh paradise, paradise. Yeah, yeah paradise this guy we believe when i'm gone right what happens to me there was there was really good songs on that album i i like that album a lot i mean that turned out to be kind of the end of the era because he got back to um ufo a few years after that but i like that record a lot it um it was very solid. Right. Well, I thought that's where we, when we talked about this leading up to doing this podcast about the Michael Schenker group discography, and we said, you know, it, his his career sort of paused after the MSG self-titled album in 1991. They did the shows with that, the tour with it. Um, he ended up doing a an acoustic album right after that in 19, was it 92? Two. Yeah. Um, and that, so that was kind of the end of the Macaulay Schenker era. Uh, it was actually kind of the end of the Michael Schenker group for a short period because he ended up going back to UFO, right? In in the mid-90s, uh, recorded an album with them, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, that didn't last too long, though. He did a short kind of tour with them, another blow-up, and right? And then he's back And then he returned. They did two albums solo after career. that. The first one was Walk on Water. I mean, that's this, the UFO we could do for another day, but... Right. Um, yeah, just just briefly on that, I was never wild about any of those UFO records. That when he returned, I thought Walk, the first one, Walk on Water, was was good. The, the two after it, I, again, I thought was spotty. Um, I I don't know how you know. In retrospect, I don't know how forced that reformation was. Right. I I you know I, I don't know if it was a cash grab. I I always kind of felt that. In retrospect, I look back on it. I I think it probably was because. Mog has really never had periods where he's put out records that lacked in songwriting. And some of those UFO albums, I, I really thought did. And, and you know, him and Shanker, I, I don't have to go into, you know, the, the love-hate, leaning on more hate back then right. relationship they've had. So, um, yeah, I was never huge on those records. Maybe the first one I thought was solid. The other two, ooh. Not so solid. Yeah. Well, now he he did kind of continue and brought the Michael Schenker group back into existence after that. Uh, we talked about this, and we could have went on and covered these albums too. But he did do since 1996 when he put out the Written in Sand album. Uh, he did, has done seven more Michael Schenker group albums since then. 
culminating in actually the one that came out just this year in 2021 titled Immortal. Uh, he, I'll run down those albums real quick for everybody. Uh, you had Written in Sand in 1996. Uh, that featured vocalist Leif Sundin. Uh, you had The Unforgiven in 1999 with Kelly Keeling on vocals. Uh, you had Beware of Scorpions in 2001. That had Chris Logan on vocals. And then you had Arachnophobiac in 2003, which had Chris Logan again on vocals. And then I guess at that point, things became even a little more convoluted in the career of, of the Michael Schenker group uh, because you had Tales of Rock and Roll in 2006. And now that album had primary vocalist was uh, Yari Tiora, I believe it's pronounced. And he also brought back all the previous singers from the band, right? Gary Barden and Macaulay and, right. you know, and Bonnet came in and did, they all did like a song or so. And then in 2008, he did In the, uh, in the Mist of Beauty. Uh, and that had Gary Barden actually back in the mix. But we were talking earlier, it's not really a great album. The song severely lack. Uh, just, you know, very spotty, uh, more on probably very, completely spotty, actually. Uh, and then, you know, again, we said he's up to this year. Earlier this year, he releases Immortal. Uh, and that album, again, goes with a, a whole plethora of singers. You have guys like Jolyn Turner, uh, Ronnie Romero, uh, you know, Ralph Sheepers uh, from Primal Fear, Michael Voss. Uh, comes in and then I think even there's a song with like Doogie White, Macaulay and Barden back on it. So it, it, it got to me, it got real convoluted and, and we could have, you know, made a two hour podcast if we had to go and talk about all those albums and the different singers on them. So that's why we thought we would cut it off after the first seven albums, right? Well, what I could say about all those records is Written in Sand, I was a big fan of. Uh, I, I liked Life Dean. I knew him from... Um, Swedish band called Great King Rat that he was yes, in. Yes. And um, that record did not get very good distribution at the time. I remember it was originally only out in Japan on, on Zero label. Um, I didn't think it was a great record, but I, I, I liked the vocalist. I liked the songs. Uh, it was a nice record. Uh, didn't carry on. You know, there was no follow up to that. I think the biggest problem with Michael Schenker has been. Uh, at least in the recording studio, is that he hasn't found another Robin McCauley the way he found Robin McCauley back mm. in the day. And I think Schenker does his best work paired with a, a terrific vocalist who writes. So, I mean, the proof is in the, the, the pudding with that because Phil Mogg, Gary Barden, Robin McCauley. Yeah. There you have his meat and potatoes of his career. Three guys that wrote well, sang well, and gelled well with him. And he's never been able to find that. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, we could, again, elongate this and, and go on a, uh, you know, a, a crusade against how good these records could have been and weren't. But I, I don't really want to do that. Just my personal opinion. Obviously, if people like these records, I'm not saying they're the worst thing ever. It's just that this is a guy that, captured magic three or four different times throughout his career, maybe more than that, and hasn't captured that magic, at least in the recording studio. I've seen him countless times live over the last 20 years, and, and in the last four or five, six years, he's better now than he was probably in the 90s uh, live. But in the recording studio, he has not captured 
any magic, in my opinion, for the last 20 plus years. And I, I don't know who manages his career. I don't know who has the input, but he severely needs a frontman, vocalist, songwriter to gel and bring out the best in him because I think he still could put it could put it forth, but it just doesn't seem the, the right combination. There's no Robin McCauley surfacing. And, and the interesting about Robin McCauley is too, I've never understood why he's never, after all these years and touring so exclusively and extensively with McCauley over the, the better part of the last decade, how they, the two of them haven't put out a record or, or even gotten, you know, a, a unit together as, as a touring unit, but um, that, that hasn't happened. And I don't know why, maybe yeah. we need to get Robin McCauley on the phone. That's right. Maybe we can get him on in a future episode of the podcast. Um, much like we did with our previous discography uh, podcast, when we did the Europe one, uh, we kind of did a, a top, me and Tom did our both top, you know, albums by that particular that we just talked about, by that particular artist. Uh, so, of course, we did it again, and we're going to run through uh, the top seven album, our top seven albums in order of, of number one to number seven, most favorite to least favorite. Uh, do you want to start with that one, Tom? Yeah, I'll start with that. Uh, number one, I have, in my opinion, it's it, it's easy. It's the second album, which was just called uh, Michael Schenker Group, MSG. It's been That name's been used quite a few times in his discography, but the second album from 1981 is my all-time favorite Number two, I have Assault Attack, which that album was an Assault Attack, and um, that's number two. Number three, Perfect Timing. Uh, I voiced my opinions on how great I thought that record was. Number four, Built to Destroy. Number five, M period, S period, G period, the 1992 <laughs> Michael Schenker record. And number six, The Debut. And number seven would be Save Yourself. Uh, so now, now, much like the the Europe discography, where we were really um, close, and you know, a couple albums flip flop back and forth, but we're we're pretty far apart on this one, um, only because. And I, I explained this to you earlier. For me personally, because Perfect Timing was the first album that I became sort of aware of Michael Shanker's, you know, recorded history, so that so to speak. I kind of almost in my top seven listing put put it together in like two two parts almost like a sub subset. So I started with for me my number one you know Michael Shanker Macaulay Shanker album is Perfect Timing. Uh, it's just the it's the album I was introduced to the band on and I, I love that album. Uh, for me number two was the M period S period G period 1991 album with Robin McCauley. Uh, number three was Save Yourself. So again, you see me with the Macaulay albums right there, one, two, three. And then I go to number four, the uh, self-titled second album, uh, MSG. Uh, then number five, I would go with the Michael Schenker Group debut, 1980. Number six, I'd go with Assault Attack. And then number seven, I'd go with Built to Destroy. So we're yeah we're pretty we're, we're definitely different but that's that's cool that's all right and we want to hear you know for everybody there out listening to this to say hey you know what are your favorite albums or your favorite album uh, of this the seven that we just talked about so we want to hear from everybody and, and let us know comment on uh, you know our Facebook page or on the YouTube page and and let us know what you guys think 
Well, I think that the uh, the old school Michael Schenker fans uh, may assault attack you about assault attack. That's right. Yeah. But for those of you who yeah. don't know, I, I, I'm assuming a lot of people that do listen to us know us, and I'm sure there's plenty of people that don't. There's 11 year age difference between myself and Mark, me right. being the senior of the two. So uh, we grew up in in somewhat different eras. Well, we did grow up in different eras. 11 right. years would be a, a generation. So. Uh, a lot of times our, our, our tastes are lean toward what we grew up on. And certainly Michael Schenker is a guy that has spanned the globe in, in, in terms of 70, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, 2020s. So uh, Mark's list, I guess, leans more toward what he grew up on. My list probably is somewhere mixed in between definitely yeah for sure well i mean that that pretty much brings us to the end of this episode uh we hope you guys enjoyed it again you know please follow along on our facebook page uh follow us and subscribe to us on the youtube page so that you guys can get notified when new episodes get posted uh we're trying to stick to a weekly schedule with new episodes and uh, we hope you guys enjoyed this uh discussion about the michael schenker uh sort of abbreviated discography but um again please let us know what you guys thought let us know your thoughts on your favorite michael schenker group albums and uh that's it for this episode so we'll see you guys soon with another one bye adios